Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Welcome. Welcome to Visual Workplace Radio, where we learn about the power, principles, and practices of sharing information visually. Visual information sharing. Hello. My name is Gwendolyn Galsworth. I'm your host on this, our weekly radio show, where we talk about and celebrate workplace visuality, letting the workplace speak. Thanks for taking time. Thanks for tuning in. I'm really glad you're there. In each of our shows, we look at some aspect of how visuality allows us to embed our intelligence into the operational system, into the living landscape of work through visual devices and visual systems. This intelligence is your intelligence. And when we install the details of the current level of enterprise excellence into this landscape of work, That landscape supports us, speaks to us, becomes our partner. This is enterprise excellence as you currently are. If you're not quite as excellent as you wish you would be or you know you will be, we still install that level. It becomes a platform and we build from there. And why do we do it? We do it because the bottom line results are outstanding. 15 to 30% increase in productivity, huge steps forward in safety, connectivity, cost, quality, on-time delivery, whatever the setting, factory, healthcare, office, open pit mine. We do it for the, secondly for the splendid, or firstly, put this first, for the splendid cultural alignment. We can through visuality because it is a language. It is your, your language, your company's visual embedded language. We can develop a spirited and engaged workforce on all levels, including the CEO, including operators. And the third huge outcome in my estimation is we enjoy ourselves at work. We flow. Visuality creates flow. Use lean to install pull. Visuality creates flow, it creates connectivity, it creates alignment. It is the language of your enterprise. So welcome. (laughs) Welcome. And also, I want to say before we jump into doorway number four, that's what we're looking at today, visual leadership, I want to thank you for your emails. I've been traveling a lot. I read them all, and I respond to them all individually, as you know, if you've sent one in, you've heard from me. Just send your emails to radio at visualworkplace.com, radio at visualworkplace.com, and I either open them myself or they reach me rather quickly, really quickly, in fact. And please check out our website for our online training systems, for my books, for these podcasts, for articles. There's about 200, 250 articles from our newsletter that are available and searchable and I think very good. They have good titles, good pictures, and that's at visualworkplace.com on the web, visualworkplace.com. This show is not about promoting our products I know that if you like what you hear and you learn from what you hear, you'll want to go further, so go to our website. This show is about teaching and learning and sharing and developing a community 
of people interested in the visual world into a work interested in a workplace that speaks, maybe even visual thinkers, maybe you've gone through the methodology, maybe you have a good understanding of motion and you want to go further, you want to hear stories, you want a review, you want reinforcements. There are lots of companies that use my radio show, Visual Workplace Radio, as teaching, lunch and learn. This is substantive sharing of the knowledge and the know-how that I've accumulated and come to digest over the last 30 plus, 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 <laughs> plus years. It is my joy and my pleasure to have done it and also to share it with you. So today we're going to go on with our march through the 10 doorway model. We're on doorway number four. And it's about visual leadership. I want to say a few opening remarks and then we'll jump in. We may be able to cover this doorway in a single show. That's my aim because there are many, many elements that need further exploration. And I want to give you a scan of the doorway rather than begin a deep dive. The deep dive will produce three, four, five, ten other shows. And uh, I feel really compelled to finish the doorway model before I go into greater depth. So please allow me to do a scan. I think it'll be interesting nonetheless. I want to remind you that The reason that a visual workplace is so important is that people have questions and only some of them are asked and only some of them are answered. We have a questioning mind. We live lives of the mind. This is a life also of the heart. So don't think I'm saying it's all cognitive, all mental. Not at all. We live balanced lives or we seek for that balance. In visuality, In this model, everyone in the enterprise makes a contribution to the language, to the war against information deficits. In fact, it's a war that's impossible to win without the participation from everyone. You know, if it's 90%, it's okay. If it's 80%, it's still very, very good. If it's 70%, you'll do very well. If it's 100%, it's not just exceptional, nearly impossible. You don't want to push people into their participation. You really want them to be pulled by their own interest. I go back to a um, saying, a principle, a definition that I've often shared with you about discipline. You know, don't think about this as getting people to do it because it's right. What Einstein told us, he said, my, my understanding of discipline from my own experience, his own, is discipline is remembering what you love. And when you think about it, you say, well, then there's no push to that. You always are drawn to what you love. And you know what? People love to think. And I'll, I'll give you, share with you once again what Ono said, Taichi Ono, the co-architect of the Toyota production system, co-architect with Shigeo Shingo. He said, people don't come to Toyota to work. They come to think. That means an outcome that leadership has constructed into the architecture, the principle-based architecture of the company called Toyota is thinking as an outcome. Engagement. Thinking as an outcome. Hmm? So, We are entering a model, we are exploring this model about how to pull that participation in from everyone. And what happens when we put language in place? 
when we have the information that we need, when and as we need it, correctly, completely, accurately, timely, we relax just a little bit. And within that relaxation, we make a little room inside of us. The stress softens a little bit. There's a little bit of margin, and that's all we need. Within that margin, we will grow. That's what we have to do. I just came back from a Shingo presentation. I was um, pre-conference and during the conference. And during the conference, I made a presentation on uh, principles and making principles friendly. There's a certain amount of struggle. We'll do a show on this. Struggle in getting the kind of high-flown language of create value. I mean, yes, we know it's important, but what does it mean? We want to step it down so that everyone can say, ah, I've got it. I know what that is. I know how to do that. And in that, we are once again welcoming all organizational levels so that they can be relieved, all organizational levels, of a little bit of the stress that information deficits will work on us. You know, if we can't find the information we need when and as we need it, and it isn't correct and accurate, and at point of use, we get, we struggle, and we feel that in our behavior, we feel it quietly in the internal landscape inside of our body, our behavior reflects stress, we get irritated, we all know what that means, we need that margin. Anyway, during this presentation, I showed the little mushroom. You may have seen this. Just Google mushroom asphalt. It's a little mushroom. There's several pictures of it because it's a phenomenon that happens. It's a natural phenomenon with a little mushroom with a a cap on its head. And the cap is the asphalt. This mushroom, which if you've handled mushrooms, are rather delicate. They're not exactly flower-level delicate, but they're vegetable-level delicate And it pushed its way through the asphalt. We take a jackhammer to asphalt to get it to break up. This mushroom pushed its way through because it needed to grow. That internal creation element, that creation impulse, that focus, that need is unstoppable. It's relentless, beautifully so. And the mushrooms come up and they grow. That's what we want. We're little mushrooms. Give us a chance. We'll grow. Give us a chance. Okay, visual leadership. Let let me not wax (laughs) any further on this uh, because we'll never get through the show. I know you know that. Come on, Gwenny. You can do it. Let's get focused. So doorway number four, we answer a single very important question. Do you remember the six core questions we talked about in the second show when we began building blocks. It might have been the third show because I might have run on the way I am today. (laughs) The six core questions of what, uh, I'll start actually the list with the where, where, what, when, who, how many, and how. Where, what, when, how many, sorry, where, what, when, who, how many, and how. Okay, those are the six core questions that operators put into place in order to get their work areas to speak. That's not methodology, that's conceptual. Okay, but it's very important to understand that's really what we're looking at. The missing question is why. That's the responsibility of doorway number four. 
Doorway number four, visual leadership tackles that seventh core question that is so largely misunderstood and so elusive to get an answer to. Doorway four is the domain of the why and the domain of its wide and substantial answer. Company leadership, doorway number four, Company leadership is responsible for the corporate intent, finding it, focusing it, targeting strategic growth through tactical improvement. I want to say that again, targeting strategic growth through tactical improvement, driving those improvements through metric-based problem-solving, and turning results into operational best practices. Workplace visuality provides us with a wide range of concepts, methods, and tools that trigger and support and sustain these outcomes. But the macro outcome is the responsibility of Doorway 4. Executives, managers, and supervisors develop or need to develop a fresh understanding of how to use the language of visuality to grow, align, and drive the enterprise. That's how to deploy visual leadership. That's what this doorway is about. It's not about the visual wear. It's not about material control. It's not about getting machine utilization to soar. It's not about supporting um, the schedule through visual displays and production control boards. The focus on this is on in this doorway is on the synergy between four core elements. And I'm going to do it kind of in order. The first is the metrics, visual metrics. And metrics break into two parts, metrics that monitor and metrics that drive. They are substantially different in their outcomes and also in the process of doing them, collecting the information. The second, did I say four core elements? I meant to say three. beg your pardon. Doorway number four, visual leadership, is the synergy between three core elements. Measurement systems, your metrics, visual problem solving, and if you want to think of this as a little three-step process, that's the way I think of it. Visual problem solving and Hoshin or policy deployment. Mm -hmm. The steps are not required to be in order. Like any other transformative change, you either start where it's the hardest or start where it's the easiest. You find the doorway in, you tackle the most difficult doorway, you're going to grow like crazy, but you're also going to get bruised. But for some organizations, I'm thinking Danaher, that's the way they like to do it. They're cowboys. They like it rough and ready, and they it's it's charge. The tanks come out. and we make the change. They acquire a company within 30 days. The company has to publish, publish. Within 30 days of that acquisition, the company, the new company has to publish its plan on an X-type matrix. That's not negotiable. That's starting the hard way. (laughs) There are a lot of casualties, but it really weeds out your management structure very very quickly. I am not a supporter of that, but I am an admirer because they've done very, very well. And there are a lot of escapees. There's The world is populated by uh, 
new Danaher employees have who have made it through or not made it through, and they're out uh, bringing their magic to the world. So you begin with visual leadership with this concept of leadership, and you can tackle it through the metrics. You can tackle it through the problem solving. You can begin with Hoshin, but you need all three. A close associate to Doorway 4 is visual displays. We spoke of this a few shows ago. When we tackle Doorway 3, these interactive formats, we allow the company to make the transition from traditional operations in whatever venue to the new excellence. And holds these displays holds, hold the organization together as it's making these Uh, this transition, the challenges of that conversion. That's the glue. But the metrics are there as the first step because they reveal the data that is triggered by cause. When I think about the Toyota production system and I think about what is it quintessentially, its very, very essence, its deep essence I say that the Toyota production system is about causality. And, you know, by saying that, because I'm an admirer of Toyota, not too sure if I want to say I'm an admirer of TPS, Toyota production system, the way it has been kind of interpreted by the West, but as the company and as a model of doggedness and intelligence and heart and consciousness and effort that is self-reflective, I think it's admirable. But I want to get on to the leadership part. So we're looking at three components, and I'm going to start at the bottom and give a scan of metrics, go to problem solving, go to Hoshin Visual Leadership, doorway number four. I'm thinking right now of Vance Packard, who way back when, he was a, a thought leader, a kind of a thought guru back in 1962. I did not know him at the time. <laughs> But he left quite a legacy. And one of the things he said that for me was very compelling was his definition of leadership. Now, I'm going to read his definition, but I'm going to leave two words out. It'll still sound like a sentence, but I leave those two words out so I can insert them in a moment and make a point. He said, back in 1962, leadership appears to be the art of getting others to do something you are convinced should be done. Leadership appears to be the art of getting others to do, to do something you are convinced should be done. I better read it again. Leadership appears to be the art of getting others to do something you are convinced should be done. There are two words missing. And the two words are to want. Leadership appears to be the art of getting others to want to do something you are convinced should be done. And therein lies the crux of the matter. You need to know why and you need to share why. You need to know it for yourself. You need to have the motivation inside of you because you know. And that's what visual leadership doorway number four is there for. The art and the science of corporate leadership. I've been working with leaders for 25, 30 years GMs, plant managers are plenty, CEOs, presidents, site managers, vice presidents. They all want to run 
their organizations with effectiveness and clarity, economy, and imagination they want to lead. But instead, some of them, most of them, I have to say, at least to begin with, merely coped. They struggled, they got through, they managed. I'm editing myself because I don't want to go down a rabbit hole and talk to you about my understanding of management. Let me just say that as I watched and pondered their struggles, I saw that visuality could contribute to helping these executives transform their work into positions that responded more effectively to the demands and goals of their companies, but also to their inner aspirations and needs, the domain of their I, and this is the letter I as an individual, I-driven. The I-driven component of leadership for me is what draws me to want to understand more and to help. For the record, my personal view of leadership is perhaps a little bit of a hybrid or a little bit eccentric. I do not consider the ability to lead as a gift bestowed on those rare individuals with burning charismatic personae and exquisite business school educations. My view is much more commonplace. I believe that skilled leadership can be cultivated, and it can be cultivated through the application and mastery of a set of highly visual formats that help executives do the very things they want to do and they must do, decide and drive. For me, that is the heart of an effective leader, the ability to decide and drive. I want to illustrate this by something that happened to me within the last 10 days. I was on a flight, and I was sitting next to a gentleman who was much too large for the seat next to me. We were in something called Delta Comfort. It's not first class. Sometimes I get lucky and get upgraded, and I like it a lot. But this time, we were close, and he was large, and he was kind of un... uh, He was very noticeable. And I... Uh, the the stewardess was very nice to him, and then it occurred to me. I said, "Oh, are you are you a, a member of the Delta team?" He said, "Yes." I said, "What do you do?" He said, I, "Well, I'm a pilot." And I thought, "Oh my God, a pilot! Thank you, Lord, because one of my fascinations is the behavior that is organized and embedded into uh, the cockpit, the control panel." the seating, the line of sight for pilots. I've come to know jet fighter pilot, the cockpit of a, of a, of a uh, F-16, and then I saw some of the other more advanced models, observed them. And it's fascinating to me because it represents the application, the glory of smart placement, which is part of what we do with operators, understanding that the location of function will govern the speed of the flow, the complexity of the flow, the effectiveness of the flow. So I, there he was sitting next to me. I, You know, it was a three-and-a-half-hour flight, and I just grilled that poor guy for two hours, and he was in his glory. He enjoyed it as well because he was able to talk about things that were a little esoteric and have to explain it on the level of me. I used to be a Latin teacher, and I've been in this field of operational excellence for 30 years, but I used to, you know, I just have a different kind of a mind. 
if I had to do it over again, perhaps I'd be an engineer because I love answers. I love answers. So anyway, I'm sitting next to him and and I said to him, what happened with Sully? What was all the hubbub about? Because it seemed to me, Sully, if you remember in 2009, Captain Chesley Sullenberger, short name, Sully, he was played by Tom Hanks in the movie, Sully. He tries to make an emergency. He does make an emergency landing in the New York Harbor on the Hudson River. It was U.S. Airways Flight 1549, and a flock of geese flew into not just one engine, but the two engines, and both the engines went down, and he had no choice. Anyway, he was successful. Watch the movie. 155 passengers and crew, they all survived. And he became a national hero. And then there was this movie that tried to make it complicated. And I thought, this is just an excuse for a movie. It's by Clint Eastwood. And I said, what's the hubbub about? I watched the movie. I watched it twice. And I didn't get why they were making a movie out of what was a spectacular uh, success story. But it was about, you know, maybe a half an hour, not an hour and a half of movie. So I asked him, I said, what was the big deal with with Sully, God bless him, many, many times. What was it that he did that was so spectacular? Or was it all hype? He said, no, the guy was spectacular. Why? Says I. Because he decided, said my new pilot friend. He said it so clearly. He decided. He made a decision. And he made a decision that he could not reach the two nearby airports, I think one was Teterboro and the other one was Newark, they were within seven minutes. But his experience was so deep and complete that he knew he wouldn't make it. And that was the part that the others who observed the event in retrospect said, why didn't you go to the airport? Why did you down the darn plane? Why did we lose the machine? What was your motivation? And he said it wasn't a motivation. It was a decision. He didn't say it this clearly in the film because I would have heard that. I'm very interested in the whole process of and the importance of making decisions, which is what leaders do. They have the material. They know. They know why. And here I have a a pilot who's not associated. He's giving me the straight answer. He said it was the decision. That was so stunning. That was dazzling because he knew within 60 seconds that there was no way he could make it anywhere and that he was going to have to make do with what was happening now because if because anything else would be a catastrophe, only it would be a catastrophe over a highly populated area. For him, it was an obvious choice because he knew. Ah, so wonderful. And of course, I said to myself, and I thanked him so much, he told me other things about runway markings, and I will not go down that rabbit hole. I'd have to confer with my notes. Boy, that was just so great. It was a satisfactory answer, and I recognized it. So we have a template, which I will share with you, but it'll be three or four months probably before we get there. We do four radio shows a month. That is about what is the core element, the difference between 
leaders who are executive and leaders who are supervisors or managers. And as this kind of template of seven elements unfolds in the center of the executive element is leading and the first element within that is to decide. But it's a rotation, so you're continually using the other elements to help you do this thing called decide. And I think this is one of the hardest parts of being an executive leader. And you have to really know. So when you explain the why, it isn't a philosophical reason, nor is it from the marketing department or your planning department or your strategic team. It is something that you know. This is the I, the strength of the I. It comes down to the I. And I think that is, I, Gwendolyn, think that is as it should be. That for a leader to be objective, I'm sorry, to be decisive, not objective, to be decisive, his eye needs to be richly informed. And that is his job. And that is also the purpose of these formats, the measures, the problem-solving, and the Hoshin. Does that mean that he is involved in all the metrics? No, but he is certainly, and she, please, hear she. I'll just start using she, and you'll notice it more. She needs to know what kind of metrics are needed for her to decide. I really encourage leaders, executives, to the extent that they will listen to anybody on the outside, to make the decisions about the the array of metrics. What is it that I need to know? What is it that I need to know so that I can make my decisions? What is the texture, the specificity of the metrics? We have swallowed pretty much whole Something that I believe came out of the Harvard Business School, the KPIs, I think that was about 1970, might have been 80. I'll have to look that up and give you more accurate information. But I will tell you that the KPIs were the introduction when they came along. They were the introduction of key performance indicators, and they had great importance because they shined a light on something that you couldn't get your arms around before. But that's not that group of QCDS, quality, safety, delivery, that's, that is an arbitrary group. It's a good one. I think it's pretty solid. Quality, delivery, safety, QC, Q, quality, C, cost, morale. Then you have now coming into the four key behavioral indicators, KBIs, KPIs, P, and KBIs, B, behavioral all of that is very interested. So in that doorway, doorway number four, we say executives, because you take the lead in identifying and driving the corporate intent, you decide about the metrics. That's part of what you do. You define the corporate intent. You shape it through your decisions and through subsequent choices. Direct reports, managers, supervisors, and other players will offer substantial inputs, but I want that doorway owned by executives because that's your doorway, executives. 
and the selection of the company's measurement approach is for me, therefore, made by and made by and owned by the executive. And of course, it has significant consequences depending on what you pick. Of course, it does. That's why you. That's why we pay you the big bucks because there are consequences. So, you know, Kaplan and Norton in the 1990s did their balanced scorecard. Like I say, I think that that was important. Important, but not complete. Just not complete. Unquestionably, KPIs provide useful snapshots of a company's performance. But though they are visible, though they are visible, they are limited They are of limited use in the art and science of seeing direction and understanding cause. They give us almost no information on cause. Merely seeing is not a dynamic outcome. A dynamic outcome is captured more by the word drive, to decide and drive. And, you know, survey after survey shows that many companies collect 20 or 30 key performance indicators weekly for every area across the company. It's far too much to parse and digest. So in visuality, what we do is we say keep your KBIs and your KPIs, keep your current um, measurement system, but shift on one or two of them. Let's just take it on a department level. Keep your, let's say, seven. Your seven KPIs, key performance indicators. But choose one of them and do something special. Make them dynamically visual. Build in a reason why we visit them again and again. Make us discover something new in that measure every time we look at it, say, every hour. Not every week or not at the end of the day. Let them become our partners. And we call, I call, I call those metrics, visual metrics. And I make the distinction between metrics that monitor your KPIs, important, pardon me, snapshots, important snapshots, and metrics that drive. I call those visual metrics. So I say visual measures. KPIs, visual metrics, just so we can kind of sort them and not get tangled up in similar language. That's similar enough. Metrics that monitor, metrics that drive. And the way that metrics drive, where they drive is they drive down the causal uh, chain. They drive down the causal chain. And rarely to root cause. If you have an incident There may be a cause. If you have a machine that goes down, for example, somebody may have put the wrong lubricant in and they put the wrong lubricant in because it was mislabeled. Correct that. But most causality is multivariate. Multiple causes on different levels, different orders of magnitude that need to be sorted and addressed. And I think that all you need to do, what I would like to see executives do, is say, keep your KPIs just as they are, as I inherited them from my predecessor. But I want each department to adopt one, one 
visual metric, I want you to learn how to drive change through the metric itself. How to you can at least reveal causality, illuminate cause, illuminate cause, so that the collection of metrics itself triggers problem solving, triggers understanding, triggers cause, triggers a granular understanding, a rich description. This, so interesting. And it becomes interesting to collect metrics. You segment them. Some of you may know this simply as the segmentation of, of the metric. So it's stacked so that if you're doing, this is the example that I use commonly, if you're doing a collection of metrics and, you, and one, one of your visual metrics, you'll have one per department, Do, not more than that. You, it becomes onerous. And besides, when you go down the causal chain, when you touch, you start touching cause, you're touching the whole system of causes within that department. It becomes onerous. You lose your doorway in. Okay? And you stack them. If there are defects, you segment them. Based on some criteria, if you're working with operators, you say, how can we, how can we slice this pumpkin? Shall we slice it by material? Shall we slice it different material? Uh, shall we slice it, slice it by type of defect? Is it a bend? Is it a scratch? Is it something missing? That would be another way to segment the collection of data. Seven defects happen today. We're segmenting them by cause as soon as we put them up there. We'll do a whole show on metrics because it's that important and on this particular kind of metric. So let me just move on to some other handles about the metric portion of doorway number four. Who owns the metric? Well, really, your top executive, the head honcho, owns all the metrics because in my construct, the executive determines, gets to determine the measurement approach, what would be most useful and relevant to the enterprise. I know the multiples, if you're talking about 10,000 people, is different than if you're talking about 300. But get the concept and then come into it where you think you can be effective. Try things out. So the decision I like is ultimately that of the ranking executive. Sanctioned in that way, the measurement system cascades down through site chiefs and managers and supervisors and team leads. And does the data travel back? to the executive suite or are there just unpleasant surprises? If problems are captured as visual metrics, they need to be in the voice of the local user, but they also need to return to top leadership. This is part of the Hoshan arrows of it coming down as a directive and coming back as granular information. Okay? This idea of eye-driven It travels throughout the metric, throughout. So I want to mention, now I want to move to the second level of of doorway number four, visual leadership. And that is what I call visual problem solving. Measures that drive improvement, visual metrics, lead us directly to to this next level. The second dimension of doorway four, which is visual problem solving. I 
am well acquainted with and have a great deal of respect for many problem-solving approaches that are current in today's marketplace. Demaic, 8D, A3, 7 quality tools, 5Ys, which some companies use as foundational, 5Ys and basic problem-solving. And all of them, of course, have a visual aspect, some more evident than others. But few of them share enough of the principles of seeing a visuality, dynamic visuality, to rank as a genuinely visual improvement driver. But know that that methodology, whatever it is, should also be vetted and validated and approved by your senior executive. It's an executive decision. It makes a huge difference how you problem solving, how you problem solve, and how deep you go, how deep you can go, and what happens with the results. That touches upon the whole dimension of, the whole framework of solutions. What happens to solutions? And how are they populated across the landscape of the enterprise? How do you transpollinate How do you populate solutions so that Department 2086B isn't working on the problem that was solved three months ago by Department 2086A? What kind of connectivity happens with the solutions is part is with the solutions. That's part of doorway, this doorway as well. It is not that the executive needs to chase that down, figure it out. But the decision is hers of how that is being done and also that it will be done, that it will be done. We will do that. So the visual problem solving is so closely connected to your metrics approach. And as in all of this that I share with you, I say to you, make it, as a pilot to begin with, run the experiment to begin with. Don't do it whole hog because whatever intervention you make mechanically or mechanistically through a new methodology or a trial methodology needs to then fit or be fitted to your culture, this shaping process. But problem solving is part of this array that is visual leadership. Because remember, we began with the premise that the executive's job, and we're not dismissing supervisors or managers, their job is to deploy the corporate intent, but the executive creates it, designs it. Even if you are tightly connected with superior corporate leaders, VPs in the corporate office 300 or 3,000 miles away. At your site, you need to own it. You have to reverse engineer it. You have to validate it. You have to find the logic of whatever you've inherited from your bosses so that you understand the why. You understand how it runs. You can drive from it. This is very important. Do not feel punished by an inherited approach. It is your responsibility to come to know it before you foist it on others. You have to know the why of 
of the logic of that particular modality, you as an executive. And if you feel that it doesn't quite work well for your local um, environment, your plant, your company, you ask for papal dispensation. You say, I want to make an experiment. I'd like to tweak it this way and that. Would you allow that, please? And then I'll tell you what I discover. Maybe it'll be interesting to you. But I got to work it. And if you're a senior, senior, senior executive, let's just say on the level of Jack Welch, God bless him. You have to allow for that. You can run a tight ship, but you can't strangle people because you want them to think. You want your executives to come to work to think as well. And that is a balance between structure and a great deal of permission and a self-reflective, investigative, discovering mind. You want that. So the problem-solving piece is if you look at the sequence of beginning with metrics, is triggered by, nourished by the metric. All great problem solving has to do with metrics that are current and available, accessible at the point of use. We'll do, we'll do a couple of shows on metrics, what I've learned. I think it's important to question it and to dwell, dwell a little bit. Let's move on to the Hoshin level. Compelling natural leaders are rare in any field, business and industry included. Combine that with the fact that nearly every workplace is flooded with competing priorities. They compete for resources and attention. And we're left to wonder how a company acquires the champions it needs and it wants. It's a good question. And my good answer, (laughs) which you have heard me proclaim before, is by teaching executives the principles and practices of visual leadership. As we look at this third level in doorway four, there are a few core elements that pertain. One of the most important pieces for me that couple with the why is the ability on the part of the executive to not only purport, promote, explain the why, but also develop the ability to do this. How do I say yes to the few and wait to the many? Yes to the few and wait to the, matter, to the many. The executive's ability to do this to make that differentiation, to decide, if you will, and decide comes from the Latin, because I used to be a Latin teacher, uh, to cut. Cedere is to cut with a knife, to make the distinction between this and that, to have an incisive understanding, clarity, and with it confidence, to decide and drive. Drive your vision of enterprise stability. How do we get stable? And then how do we grow? That is leadership. We're talking executive leadership. This is the creation of the understanding. And then supervisory leadership, which includes managers, team leads, supervisors, is the execution of that. They, the executive, owns it because he created it or he's vetted and validated it and said to his betters, his corporate bosses. Yes, I get it. 
the house, so there are three formats here as well. Everything is in threes. Who knows why? why? I think that this is just written somewhere in the stars. There are three major formats which will we, we will unnest with my pleasure. I love this discussion. The first is the house or the temple because that clarifies the model of thinking and the model of importance that gives a valence to many, many choices. There is a hierarchy. The design itself expresses of your house or your temple expresses that hierarchy. The second one is the X-type matrix. There may be better. I haven't found it yet. But this is the classic Japanese base. That was mother's milk to me. That's what I learned and understood. And so I'm stuck. But you can plug in your own way of creating an annual plan on a single page, putting some kind of powerful architecture in place, architecture of command derivative of your temple for me the temple or the house as it's currently used has some gaps we will talk about it because I'm interested in sharing what I've discovered with you and maybe you'll try it out and you'll get back in touch with me and say this worked and that was kafui or whatever so the x-type matrix is the second part of this trilogy at the top of the doorway, visual leadership. We started with metrics, two distinctions, distinctions, metrics that drive, pardon me, metrics that drive and metrics that monitor. Monitor is the KPI and the other are the segmented or stackable metrics, metrics that drive down the causal chain. Problem solving is visual. I didn't give you the characteristics about that. It's going to get us really uh, into too too much into the weeds, but visual problem solving so you can go after causality, the causality that has drawn you or interested you because of the metric. Aha, we're on the scent. We're tracking the enemy. And the third broad core element of doorway four is Hoshin. Three parts, the temple, the X-type matrix or something that is very similar. And the third piece is the operations roadmap, which is a common way of translating the specificity and refinement, the detail of the X-type into something that is friendly and available to your direct reports. The operations roadmap, which is typically and usually very pretty and very approachable and very understandable where I can see me as part of the corporate intent. Those three pieces work together. These formats, for the most part, are two-dimensional. They're pieces of paper with stuff written on it. This is the magic of formats. You've got a blank piece of paper, and it is open to whatever you want to put on it, and suddenly the paper is transformed into usefulness. It becomes visual, it communicates, it connects, it triggers, it irritates, it instigates, it provokes, makes us think. Oh man, I've got a lot to say about the X-type matrix, but I'll just give you this sentence. If you don't listen to the form, it can't teach you. 
You follow that form and it will teach you how to be a good, even great leader. It will make your dreams come true. Those dreams have to do with how can I be a a, a great leader? How can I lead effectively? How can I do my part of this job? How can I be connected with this beautiful community of effort I call my company? I want to be a part of it. I want to make the contribution that is on my level or order of magnitude. I want to assume my responsibility. Visuality is there to help you. So those are the formats of this doorway. I want to conclude this in one show because you can feel it happening to me continuously. These rabbit holes are just as interesting as the, as this is rabbit hole, H-O-L-E, H-O-L-E, are just as interesting, if not more interesting, than the whole hole, W-H-O-L, the whole of it, the holistic view of this doorway. The devil is in the detail, but the drama is there as well, and the, and the creativity and the behaviors. So these formats are, for me, very compelling. I have to tell you that I have fallen into a pot of honey. When I have been gifted with this interest in visuality from so many years ago, it just keeps teaching me. And it makes sense because it's a language. Why shouldn't it teach me too? It has been. I want to broaden the discussion a little bit to something else, which is a term of art. I think I have a few minutes left. Len, I have not received your cue, and if you've given it to me, don't do it on the computer. Do it in my ear, and also don't remove this. So where am I? Two minutes, but I never heard ten. Okay, all right. So I never heard the ten, five, three, two, or I heard the two now because I asked for it. We've got to work on that. You don't have to remove this. It's okay for people to know how things work around, around here. Thank you. The broader picture is this. I've told you before, visuality will shift the identity of you, will shift the identity of people who, you who use it, me who use it. And the shift we want here is from becoming, from being seen as managers, coping, struggling, to leaders. The shift in language for doorway number four is to shift from managers pushing improvement to managers to leaders of improvement. I don't think I'll fit this story in. I'll have to save it for another time. But just the nomenclature of that, for your goal to be, I want to be surrounded by leaders of improvement. They're called my executive team. There is a profile that is fulfilled of behaviors and understanding and concepts and methodologies that allow that shift in identity to become real, to become substantive and substantial, to shift from managers managing the company to leaders of the improvement of the company. So that's our show for today. That's doorway number four. And um, it, uh, as always, is my pleasure to share this with you. There are a lot of onions in this basket and a lot of onions to unpeel. I hope you join us again, join me again in that wonderful play of our own minds against these understandings. 
I hope you join again. This is Visual Workplace Radio. I'm Gwendolyn Galsworth. I'm signing off, and I say let the workplace speak. Thank you for joining us this week at Visual Workplace Radio. Tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, with your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Let the workplace speak.